So the funny thing, they did a big study, a controlled study, in which a group of people were on the same amount of food. Half the people were eating a ketogenic diet, and the other half were eating a diet that was mostly processed foods. It was about 25% processed sugar, actually, like baker sugar, like that kind. It was like junk food. And the group on the high sugar diet, when it was the same calorie load as a ketogenic diet, they actually lost more body fat. So the paradox is that ketosis is what happens when the body is not burning fat. You're making it into ketones. You're not burning it for fuel. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Today, I am bringing back Dr. Alan Christensen, and I can't wait to share his expertise on how to reset your metabolism and make your liver healthy again in only 28 days. Now, hormone-driven weight resistance has come up a couple times on the podcast, and I know that you have a lot of questions around the topic. Luckily, this is Dr. C's wheelhouse, and he is going to lay it down for us. But before we jump into this very fun and delightful conversation with Dr. Alan Christensen, I want to take a moment and invite you to reach out to me and let me know what are you loving so far on the Essentially You podcast. As you know, we are now launching two episodes a week and more and more listeners are jumping on. And I can't tell you how much that means to me. You know, shredding truth on how to eat for your body and hormones is important to me, and I want to make sure that I'm touching upon topics that are relevant to you personally, as well as the people who matter most in your life. Since we started the podcast, I have received hundreds of emails and messages on social media from incredible women like you who are adapting the advice and recommendations shared inside of these episodes. And I am beyond moved and grateful to hear from you. I love hearing from you. I love being on this journey with you. Now you can always reach out to me by connecting with me on Instagram at Dr. Marisa, that's D-R-M-A-R-I-Z-A, or heading over to my website at drmarisa.com, episode 61, or simply reviewing this podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you love to plug into. That way, we can continue to share these episodes with more women who are ready to step into their power and become the boss of their healthcare because we need this message now more than ever. And I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to be showing up a little bit more with my own exclusive topics that I think you are going to love. You know, these topics are all related to my upcoming book, The Essential Oils Hormone Solution, which is publishing on February 12th. 2019, we are getting closer every day, less than two weeks away closer. And I'm not going to lie, I definitely have butterflies at this point because the release date is getting so close. And this book is about to go out to thousands and thousands of people. Now, as a small token of my appreciation, I have created some epic bonus goodies, actually $300 in bonus goodies as a big thank you for pre-ordering your copy of my upcoming book, The Essential Oils Hormone Solution. That's right. I want to make sure that you can balance your hormones instantly, even if you're waiting for the book. And that is why I created this. So how you get these beautiful, amazing bonuses? Well, you just got to go and pre-order the book, The Essential Oils Hormone Solution at your favorite online retailer. 
Amazon seems to be the best place that people are heading to, but it's available at Target, Barnes & Noble. I have a whole list of retailers available. Then you're gonna go to my book bonus website, which is drmarisa.com hormone book. Also on that site, you can actually just go to the retailers directly from there if that's easier for you. Once you grab the book and you head on over to this website, you're just gonna enter your details and bonuses will instantly appear in your inbox in just a matter of seconds. Well, as quickly as the email gods can work. Now, if you've already purchased the book, which thank you so much, or you've received a copy in one of my programs or in the summit, well, then you just have to go to drmarisa.com slash hormone book into your information and you'll instantly get those bonuses as well. Now, these bonuses are pretty epic. I wanted to make sure that they were in congruent, they were just basically congruent and they were in alignment with the new book. So I've got this amazing self-care video series that I loved creating, my hormone masterclass, my best hormone cheat sheets, because I love quick wins, as you know I do, and then the top five interviews from the EO Hormone Summit with some of the most incredible protocols for liver, thyroid, and so much more. And all you gotta do is head on over to the book page to grab those goodies, super easy. And I can't wait for you to get to read this book and take away so much good stuff. My thought is, when I was looking over the book a couple days ago, just trying to chime in and connect in with what women want, I thought to myself, like, there is something for every woman in this book, no matter what. So I just have a feeling you're gonna love it as much as I loved writing it. So let's dive on into this conversation with Dr. Alan Christensen. But before I do, I do wanna quickly sing his praises. Dr. Alan Christensen is a naturopathic endocrinologist who focuses on thyroid function, adrenal health, and metabolism. He has been actively practicing in Scottsdale since 1996 and is a founding physician behind Integrative Health. He is a New York Times bestselling author whose books include The Metabolism Reset Diet, The Adrenal Reset Diet, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Thyroid Disease. And Dr. Alan Christensen is always on national media like Dr. Oz, The Doctors, and The Today Show. Welcome, Dr. Alan Christensen, to the Essentially You podcast. Alan, how are you doing today? <laughs> hey, Maritza. I'm doing awesome, and I'm always glad to be with you. So yeah, this is, this is great. Well, I am. I am so exact, glad to be with you as well, and I know I get to see you in a couple weeks, too. Yeah. We're going to both enjoy. We're just talking about the fall weather and how we both don't really <laughs> have any, but we are going to get to enjoy it in Denver together, so that'll be nice. That's going to be really cool. Well, what we're talking about today is, let's be honest, everyone wants to know this. Everyone wants this code to be cracked. And you, one of my favorite researchers, one of my favorite doctors, have done it. I have the book. I've been reading the book. Let me tell you how much I love the book. And I know the book isn't out yet. I'm just very, I'm just very special. We'll just say that I'm special. <laughs> <laughs> but we're talking about the metabolism reset diet. And what I want to know, you know, and I have a, I have a feeling I understand why you're inspired by this because goodness knows, I'm sure I have some of the same patients, or I've seen some of the same patients, and so many of our patients are looking for this answer. But what inspired you to write this book? You know, first and foremost, you nailed it. Uh, each each year, I'll ask patients and readers, "What are your biggest goals? What are your biggest struggles? You know, what's most important to you with your health right now?" And I think I've done that about boy eleven or so years in a row. And every single time, 
you know, there's different wording for it, but the top two concepts are weight and energy. And so I wanted this to be a, a newer answer, but also explain how they relate to one another. You know, most, most people have a sense that if they starve or go extreme enough, they can drop some pounds, but they know that they feel exhausted when they do, and they know that the weight's probably going to rebound. So I wanted to, to, to explain how to actually get not just dropping pounds, but really resetting and regaining a healthy metabolism again. I absolutely agree. And what I love about this book so much, because I own the Adrenal Reset Diet as well, your New York Times bestselling book, and how they are such a companion to one another. This is a very much just tackling more the, the me metabolic piece too, but that I'm so grateful that you expanded on that, that previous book, because that book was amazing. Thank you. And it was just that a follow-up. There's this idea, I don't, I don't love any of the names for this, but there's a phenomenon by which a lot, of, a lot of us can struggle with weight, and even apart from that, have just more fat than the body should have. And I've heard it called overfat, or you know, those that have a low weight but too much fat, that's been called tofi, or thin outside, fat inside, or skinny fat. Skinny but, fat. Yeah. I think that's all. <laughs> we all have those skinny fat friends. <laughs> But, but, but now they're that's not about, the word for it. That's not a great word. And there's no, it's not. Well, and, and, and the best term would, would encompass that along with those who are aware of just, they, they feel that they have, they're aware of having too much and they feel that it's visible and apparent. And so to lump all that together, probably the most, most relevant term used in research is overfat. And I don't like that term either, but that's, that's the one that's, that's out there. And the data now says that, you know, per age, per, per gender, it's about 80 to 90% of us to some degree. So it's just a rampant thing. It is a rampant thing. And I'd love to know, I, one of the questions I'm going to ask is like, who is this for? But I, I feel like I know that answer as well. I feel like this is for everybody. But can you just really quickly touch, you know, we talk about metabolism. I don't know if people necessarily know what metabolism is. And a lot of people feel like they cannot shift or change their metabolism at all. They just feel like this is their lot in life. It's genetics. It's unlucky circumstances. We tend to not take a lot of responsibility for or ownership around how we play a role in our metabolism. Can you touch upon that? For sure. So I'm, I'm like the world's worst gambler. So I'm going to preface, preface the analogy with that. I think there was one time I gambled away a roll of nickels and I felt stupid about it the whole time. At least it was just a roll of nickels, right? <laughs> it was a $2 roll of nickels and I felt so remorseful about that waste of $2. <laughs> but so imagine like a slot machine and you've got the, what, the three rollers and you got like three rollers and if they all came up sevens, that would be perfect. So imagine that one of those rollers is appetite and one is energy levels. And then one is waste, you know, waste size. And metabolism is how the body regulates those three variables. And I think back, this has been an ongoing struggle of mine too. I have to work hard to manage this. And I've had times where it's been off in such big ways, many points during life. But if I think back to about, boy, about third grade, that's probably the last time this would be true. I ate what I wanted. You know, I played and moved when I felt like it. And I was not self-conscious about my weight or my appearance. All those three things just synced up on their own. And I think people have an expectation that, I don't know, that to have those things be at a good place requires heroic amounts of ongoing effort and vigilance. And that the big message is that, no, it's, it, it shouldn't. 
You know, giraffes don't count their leaves and count their steps. You know, it's a, when, when the body works, you're hungry as you should be, and you've got energy throughout the day, and your weight regulates. So the whole inspiration was wanting that to be a natural state for people mm. again. But it isn't a natural state for people. As you mentioned, 80 to 90% of people in particular, and you're right, you're absolutely right. When we were kids, not that we should have been eating all the Pop-Tarts and all the things, (laughs) but we were able, we were out on bikes until the lights went on, you know, at night. And it was a very different time. Like you could, you could pretty much eat anything, you know, as we get older, things start to shift and, and clearly the food is shifting too. I feel like Alan, even for kids, this isn't much as much the case anymore. Like it was for us. That's exactly what this book is about. Like, how do we get the body back to working so that your body is doing it's right activities. It's right metabolic activities. Yeah. And and the answer for me came down to a lot about the liver and the liver being a real hub. You know, it's funny, but there's just thousands of chemicals that we need in any given moment to be present in the bloodstream and like the right balances for our bodies to work right. And they're all things that ultimately we either get from our diet or make out of things we got from our diet. But we're never getting them just in the moment we need them. You know, if it's almost like if you had an assembly line to where you had no, no warehouse and only items on hand, you'd have to be receiving shipments constantly. Like here's the bolts, here's the nuts, here's the glass, for like making a car. And, but no, the body has a warehouse and you hold on to energy materials. You hold on to micronutrients, you convert and form hormone byproducts. You, you make neurotransmitters. Your liver is storing this stuff and then it's doling it out as your system needs that. So the, the trick is really how can the liver do its job again? Because when it's working well, it's the place your body stores the extra fuel. One thing different about this book is that I've seen a lot of struggles between fats, carbs, ketones. Is one of these the savior? Is one of these the demon? <laughs> and the funny thing is when you come down to a chemical level, how your body uses fuel, they're all the exact same thing. They all become oxaloacetate before they get burned for fuel. I think about like when, you know, mom said, don't worry if the the peas roll in the gravy because they all go in the same place, you know? So that's carbs, ketones. They all break down the same way when it comes to fuel in the body. So collectively, they're they're identical. And the trick is when the liver is healthy, it can store some extra fuel without that being a big consequence of Mm -hmm. weight gain. And then when there's a little less than you need at a given moment, your liver dishes that out. And the lights stay on, you know, your power stays up. So one of the things distinct and one of the remedies is about helping the liver regain its ability to properly store fuel and properly release fuel. And in my understanding right now, our livers are kind of getting their butts kicked a lot. And we think about the body naturally detoxifying. That's the job of the liver. I mean, your liver's got 500 plus tasks when you're running labs, how often are you seeing, you know, the liver taxed? Is that usually one of the first things that you approach with a patient if they're struggling with metabolism or they're struggling with hormones or whatever may be going on with them? You know, awesome question. And you're super educated. Your readers are. I'll get a little bit nerdy and technically here. You asked about running labs. So pretty much any lab panel includes what's called a blood count and a chemistry panel. We call those a smack panel way back in the day, but now they're called chemistry panels. And they almost always include liver function tests. There's two that are important here and one that I'll hone in on. It's called the ALT. And this is an enzyme your liver uses for converting one amino acid to another. 
And this enzyme is unique to liver cells. Now, liver cells, just like every cell in the body, they wear out and they die and they bust open and they get broken down and recycled and new ones take their place. So when we see ALT floating in the bloodstream, that means that some liver cells died to put it there. And some is normal because they're where they're old, they're worn out and you're due for new ones. But when they're higher than they should be, there's some sign of stress on the liver. And here's, here's the wrinkle. So a lot of people have this test out and out elevated. It's called the ALT. Anyone who's had pretty much any blood test has probably had this one done. It's really common. Now there's a normal range and every liver specialist is on board with this agreement is that inside the normal range, most labs say you're normal up to low forties or low sixties, but liver specialists all know that if you're a woman and you're above 18, something's wrong. So you can be smack dab in the middle of normal and have that be a blatant sign of there being some kind of a problem. And, you know, a lot of things can cause that. We could see like someone that had hepatitis, they weren't aware of it. Maybe they're on a cholesterol medication or a antifungal that's hurting it. But yeah, many things can trigger that. But barring any obvious culprits, we think about the liver being overloaded and just being too jammed up with stuff and moving into fatty liver syndrome. Mm, Absolutely. And I knew that as well. And so often I think about labs and how important they are. But a lot of times we're looking at that panel when people are hitting those high normals, you know, that's kind of like the red zone stranger danger to me. I'm like, uh oh, you know, usually when things start to really show up is when, you know, we, there's been a longstanding concern for quite some time. I still want to talk a little bit about the liver because I'm always so fascinated and I, I love talking. I love talking about the liver. I know it's weird. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> so when you see someone's got a fatty liver, liver enzymes are elevated a little bit higher than they should be, or you know that their metabolism is, is just not functioning as well as it should be. What are some of the first steps besides getting your book? which is what we want, um, <laughs> that we should be doing to really help to support the liver. Yeah. So fatty liver, let me just expand on that a tiny little bit for those that may not be familiar with that. So this is a super common thing. And that ALT score, that 18 score, that's actually low normal. So you can be above low normal and still have that be a problem. And barring any other explanation, an ALT score above 18 for a woman, that's the first suspicion. So we know that the only way to be certain if someone has this is by an actual biopsy. And that's never done for screening purposes. Ultrasounds can show fatty liver when it's rather advanced. They can't show it at the earliest stages. One of the last studies I read was from this year, and they showed that if you take average adults between age 28 and 70 that have normal liver enzymes and no apparent health risks or symptoms, not diabetic, that 46% of them have ultrasound visible fatty liver disease, which means it's a rather progressed form. And the problem is that what this means is the liver is too full of fuel. It's this whole thing that's taken away from metabolic flexibility and it's just gotten gummed up with fat. So we define fatty liver disease as a liver that's got more than 5% of its weight made up from triglycerides, from fat, from fat deposits. And the problem is that when it's so full of fuel, it starts to leak. And we used to think about diabetes as being a problem of the body not handling sugar, like from the diet. And now we know it really has to do with the body leaking sugar out of the liver. Some exciting studies show how you can differentiate blood sugar that came from food or that came from your body releasing it. And people that have weight struggles or early diabetes, about 70% of the sugar in their bloodstream has nothing to do with their food. It didn't come from their meal. 
it came from their body releasing too much. So the liver gets full of fat, full of fuel. It starts leaking out fuel in glucose or triglycerides. And that can progress into a next level called non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. And that can progress to hepatocellular carcinoma, liver cancer, or cirrhosis. And it's, it's scary stuff when you look at the stats of what's expected in the coming years about how common all these liver conditions are. I was actually speaking to one of our friends just before this call, and she just lost her father from advanced cirrhosis, from un- undiagnosed fatty liver disease. So it's, it's crazy prevalent. Liver is so important. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, it's such an interesting concept to think, you know, so that was something new. I hadn't even, I knew that, the, you know, as we have a fatty liver, it's just not able to do its job. But the the idea of it's just being so overcapacitated that it's spilling out. And you, a lot of people, just in case you didn't know, listeners, you know, our liver is storing glycogen specifically for energy storage in case we need it or in case just to create good sh- blood sugar balance. And to hear that it's, it's it's completely failing at its job <laughs> and leading to, you know, di- insulin resistance or, you know, precursors to diabetes is such a scary prospect. So very much we should definitely be focusing on that. Now, you know, I know we talked a little bit about what's happening and, and why we're seeing some of these repercussions. How do we begin to heal a fatty liver, which again, you know, a lot of us unknowingly are, are dealing with right now? You can suspect it whenever those three sevens don't line up. Your appetite, your weight, your energy, when they're not syncing up, this is what's going on. There's some impairment of the liver. And it may or may not be actual disease process, but it's something that's harming the metabolism. So the trick about really reversing this, the beautiful thing is that the liver is very resilient and you could theoretically lose 80% of it and have it grow back and be healthy given the right circumstances. So it can heal. And the book talks about how in 28 days, this whole thing can reverse and you can reach a state to where you've got a flexible metabolism again. And it takes more about waste loss and then organ fat loss. So there's been a lot of talk about belly fat and how it's so inflammatory and you know the visceral fat is another term for it. Well, there's also organ fat. And so when your liver works well, it can store fuel in harmless states. But when it's not working well, it stores it in more harmful places. And organ fat, which builds up in the liver or the pancreas, is a huge factor. So a paperclip is about a gram. And two grams of organ fat are the difference between being diabetic and non-diabetic. So when you can lose weight from the right place, like even like two grams, the way your body can change back to a good state of health is just spectacular. You know, it's so interesting. We do put so much emphasis on visceral fat, which I still feel, you know, is important to focus on. You're talking about those those three sevens, right? Those three wheels where waist circumference was a big piece of that. It's an indicator, but being mindful. And clearly, you know, what goes on, we can see the waist circumference expanding. It's we like you mentioned, we just we can't see that that shift in organ fat, as you spoke of. So that's interesting. One of the things that you talk about, and know we're going to get back to the liver as well, you know, when we're, we're thinking about our waist circumference, or we're thinking that dieting is the way to reset the metabolism, right? So often we're putting on, being put on diets, there's so many different diets out there. We just live in this world. I remember when I was a young girl, you talk about being in third grade and not even thinking about it. But I remember thinking, you know, just as a girl, as a woman, you know, the magazines that I was mindful, I was dieting as young as 12 years old. 
I remember, you know, that's just having this, this mindset around dieting. And so we've got people dieting all over. They're not getting the results that they want. And so often they feel so terrible when they're dieting. Is the liver playing a role here as well? That's exactly the thing. And, you know, you think about it, the calorie model is not perfect, but there are some things we can draw from that. And one of which is that every pound of spare fat is about two days worth of fuel, you know, two day, two or three days worth of fuel. And pretty much all of us have at least a few pounds we don't want of spare fat. And so if you think about that, if your food intake goes down, but your energy stores plummet, why? You know, when it works right, your body should be able to get a couple of days of fuel from that stored fat. And that comes back to the liver again. I love that you mentioned glycogen. So your liver has two main types of ways that it stores fuel. It can store it as glycogen or as triglycerides. And what's actually going on in this whole early fatty liver, you know, poor metabolic flexibility state is that it's getting gummed up with triglycerides and that crowds out the glycogen. And the paradox is you need glycogen to burn triglyceride. So once you have no more room for glycogen, then your liver is leaking out glucose because it can't store it and it's getting full of triglyceride and it can't burn the triglyceride. That's how the whole vicious cycle ensues. And that's a big part of what waist circumference ends up being too. And here's one more easy way someone can know if this could be a useful thing for them is that waist circumference is one of the best predictors of just longevity diabetes risk, heart disease risk, brain aging, many cancers. And to be specific, it's height to weight ratio. You know, as adults, our height doesn't change a lot. It often drifts down gradually. So most of us have some kind of a sense of what our height is. But, you know, roll out of bed in the morning, use the bathroom. But before you've eaten or anything to drink, grab a tape measure. And normally, I try to work to keep my belly in, you know, to keep my waist tight. But just, just relax. So take a deep breath in and breath out and just completely relax your belly and measure right around the belly button. And that's the number used to determine the height to waist ratio. It's just the measurement around the belly button when you're relaxed in the morning. And the simple equation is 0.5. You want that to be less than half of your height. So just look at your height in inches. You know, I'm just about six feet. So what, like 72 inches? So you just take your height in inches and then find your waist circumference in inches and it should be less than half. If you're anywhere above half, that's that's a risk factor. And that's when you want to see waste loss occur to regain health. That's such an easy thing for all of us to do. And if it is, we got a liver problem and a metabolic problem, which I think we know. I feel like everyone inherently <laughs> inherently knows that their waist is getting bigger as something isn't right. So Let's talk a little bit about, I know this whole book really, and I we've had multiple conversations around this, is metabolic flexibility. You know, I don't think a lot of people feel like they have that anymore. Well, what does that mean? How do we define metabolic flexibility? And this book is exactly 28 days to kind of get that liver back to where it needs to be to really help to reset the metabolism. How do we get metabolic flexibility after understanding what it is? Yeah. So one, one important distinction is that this, this is a change. This is not something you have to work hard and, you know, hold on to by the, by your fingernails, right? You're about to fall off. No, you shift your body and it stays there. So metabolic flexibility is what I was describing back in third grade. And I mentioned third grade because it wasn't true for fourth grade, because that was when I started gaining a ton and getting into the whole dieting world. But when it works right, your, your hunger will guide your food choices, your food quantities, and your energy will guide your activity. 
in terms of how active you are, what sort of things you're doing. And when you follow those things intuitively, your waist will be at a good place for your, for your size. And that's going to be less than half of your height. And there's days in which your, your food intake will never be perfect. You know, I mentioned how we need all these various things at every moment, but we never get them in that moment is that we're storing them and doling them out as we need them. So our liver always has to do that. And when it works well, it's got a lot of leeway. You know, there's, there's days where you always get more or less food than you need that day. You never get the perfect amount. And when you're healthy, you could get a reasonable amount more and it wouldn't mean that your weight shot up. I hear people all the time that, you know, they'll say from day to day, their weight might go up by many pounds if they fall a little bit off of their plan, or even if not, it can change radically fast. That means the liver is not buffering the metabolism. And then someone else will say, yeah, I'll, I'll cut my food intake down, but then I can't function. You know, I'm like dead to the world. I've got muscle pain. I, my brain doesn't work. And same thing. When you're healthy, your liver can make up for that because you never get exactly what you need. It's always a little bit too much or too little. But when you've got metabolic flexibility back again, those things won't affect you. I mean, anyone could starve at some point and anyone could gain weight at some point, but the normal amounts of mild overage and underage shouldn't cause symptoms like that. So that's what metabolic flexibility is all about. So if someone was, the scale is jumping from day to day, or they're trying to lose weight and they're eating next to nothing and yet nothing's moving, that's what we're talking about, that lack of metabolic flexibility. To get it to move, they feel awful. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's, it's all about the, it's that combination of the appetite and the, the waste and then the energy levels. It's those things syncing up just spontaneously. Got it. You're a hormone specialist. I think of you a hormone specialist more than a liver and a metabolic specialist, mainly because that's what I've always thought of you too. They're in the same bucket, right? (laughs) They are definitely in the same bucket. Well, they are connected. It's all hormones, right? I think people tend to think, oh, well, the thyroid, which is definitely involved in metabolism or cortisol, you know, they don't think of them as the same. And, you know, you get a lot of women in the office I know who are who are dealing with, know if there's a term that this works for you, but like hormone-related weight resistance. And is it that hormones are playing a role in this metabolic flexibility? Are they causing issues with the liver as well? How are you able to help women who are seeing some major shifts in cortisol or major shifts in, in thyroid, maybe it's hypothyroidism, helping to kind of get those things back on track? How do they play a role in, in the way that the liver functions or just in general metabolism? You know, that's a great, great question. And I want to, oftentimes, words themselves are, are ambiguous. And then the word hormone is one that's like that. So I'm the founding president of the Endocrine Association of Naturopathic Physicians. And we had a, a gathering about a month or so ago. And one thing I told them, I said, look, the word hormone to doctors means all the chemicals that control the body from the thyroid, from the liver, from the adrenal glands, from the ovaries and the testicles, they're all hormones. But that that's really not how normal people use that word. You know, normal people, when they say hormones, they're, they're primarily talking about night sweats and hot flashes and about PMS. And it's really focused on estrogen, progesterone, you know, ovarian hormones. And that's how the rest of the world uses that term. And in a negative connotation, right, Alan? <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. It's not, it's not, they're happy. They're not talking about it because they're happy about it. <laughs> they're not praising those hormones. <laughs> Well, for sure, there's a lot of ways by which women get more things that can cause that to go wrong. There's actually something which has been studied a lot called visfatin, 
who names this stuff? You know, it's, it's, it's got fat right in the middle of it, but it's visfatin. And this is called an adipocytokine, which means that it's an immune regulating thing from fat cells. And basically changes in thyroid hormone or changes in estrogen because they change the circulating amount of thyroid hormone, they completely change visfatin. And what visfatin does, it's kind of like the lever that controls how leaky the liver is. So when this hormone is elevated, the liver itself is now leaky and it's like pouring out fuel and it can't store fuel any longer. And the fluctuations of estrogen, progesterone that women go through, and then also changes in thyroid hormone can have huge effects upon making this all worse. So it completely ties in. And this is one of the, this is one of the main reasons why there's a big link between liver disease and thyroid disease, but also why there's a big link between overall weight resistance and perimenopause and menopause is because of this vis fatten compound. Mm, interesting. You know, I always think about too, you know, that transition of perimenopause and menopause, you know, the symptoms worsening really being you know, an HPA axis kind of a situation where, you know, we're, we're pouring out cortisol and epinephrine, which is having a profound effect on our thyroid and our liver as well. You know, in how are we maintaining not only metabolic flexibility, but stress flexibility and how those two correspond. Totally. And the other wrinkle with that is your adrenals make, well, 57 hormones, but one, one hormone comes in two varieties and that's cortisol and cortisone. And cortisol is stronger, cortisone is weaker. The adrenals make both. And it turns out that your circulating cortisol levels come just as much from the liver. So there's an enzyme in the liver called 11-beta-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase. And it's also activated by this change through perimenopause. And it causes the liver to dump out higher amounts of the stronger version of cortisol. So it completely relates to the HPA axis. So we got to figure out how, I just think of, you know, what I'm imagining right now. And, you know, I see this little liver, this big liver rather, and it's just pouring buckets, right? It's it's got these leaky faucets everywhere. (laughs) And a lot of things are driving those leaky levers. You know, we've got hormones that are potentially driving those leaky levers. I feel like it gets a little bit more complicated for women, depending on how they're living their life, that there's, that the liver could be triggered I feel like that poor liver is just getting beat up by a lot of different chemical messengers. It's getting a lot of mixed signals. And we got to figure out a way to kind of, you know, I, I see like this wrench, just wrenching these levers shut so that we can stop this inflexibility that's happening with the metabolism. I know we talked a little bit about how liver is blocking fat loss and not only just fat, but burning fat, right? By not being able to support those glycogen stores, that crazy rampant catch 22 cycle that we described a little bit. And most particularly, it's not about the amount, although you know, we're talking about, you know, not always does is food creating it. Maybe you do end up eating a hamburger that shouldn't move the needle that day. You shouldn't put on three pounds just because you ate that hamburger. However, is our consumption of fat, is our consumption of sugar playing any role in this conversation as well? I mean, should we still be mindful about all of those things? You know, so one more definition I like to expand out, which I, a lot of words we use, I wish were multiple words, like hormone, for example. I wish we had a, a, a better word for all of them, and then a better word people talk about for the ovarian ones. And, and same thing for sugar. So I think about what a baker would call sugar and what a chemist would call sugar. And, you know, when, it, when a recipe says sugar, that means sucrose. That's like the white powdered stuff. 
But to a chemist, a sugar includes a lot of things that you wouldn't even think of. They're not even foods. There's a lot of immune cells and a lot of cell markers that are, that are sugars or glycoproteins, but they're not sweet. <laughs> they're not things that you, know, you get in your diet. So it's, it's a much bigger category. And people often conflate those concepts, you know, even amongst foods, you know, the, 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 you can find any carbohydrate is sugar, even fiber, even like the fiber into the cellulose and spinach. Well, that's sugar, you know, in a chemical sense. But the negative implications of sucrose do not apply to the cellulose and spinach. No, <laughs> they work completely differently within your body. So, yeah, it's, it's a big category. That is a big category. And I think about even fructose and how fructose has to be broken down in the liver before it's processed. It's very distinct from glucose. You know, glucose itself is what we use in the bloodstream. And passively, we can get glucose from food, but fructose can't be used in that way. You're right. Fructose does require more processing by the liver. And paradoxically, fructose also can have negative effects upon just gut symptoms, gut health, gut flora, and all those things in terms of how it affects blood sugar and the, and the digestive tract are not even related to how much fructose there is. It's related to how much fructose there is relative to glucose. So it's the, it's the preponderance of fructose that causes all those issues. So if someone's diet becomes far too low in glucose, then they become very sensitized to fructose and it becomes much more harmful for them. Interesting. Interesting. So it's that relationship between the two. Goodness, because I was just thinking, you know, and all these little things to take, it, to take into consideration, even that amount of fructose, if your liver is just overtaxed, it's just one more thing to have to deal with. Okay, so we've got a lot of things on the table. A lot of concerns, a lot of, and a lot of the women listening right now are like, Dr. Marisa, Dr. Al, I got all of it. I got Time the hormones, answers. I got the sugar, I got the fructose, probably putting too much in my green smoothie. I got all kinds of things happening. My liver's probably angry. My, you know, my ratio of waist to height is a little off. Like, ah, okay. Dr. Allen, tell us, I always think of Shaka Khan, but tell me something good. Tell me something good, baby. Tell me what can we begin to do? <laughs> well, the, the good thing is it, it can fix. Your liver is just primed and ready to repair itself quickly. And we've, we've made a simple process that takes your body through uh, four, four internal switches. You know, the first one is we have to get all the, the stored triglycerides that are between liver cells out so that there's space between the cells. And then we think about getting the, two, the liver's two main cycles, the phase one and phase two, back lined up again. Then we get the glycogen stores repaired, and then we get the fat cells of the liver. The liver cells have the fat within them taken out. And it's an easy thing. It's basically 28 days. And in that 28 days, I've changed the recipes and the foods to sequentially take those steps. But as far as the consumer's experience is, all you do is a shake for breakfast and lunch and then a good meal. That's really all it comes down to. So it's all the all the work and all the complexity is done behind the scenes. I love it. So super simple to be focusing on a shake. And let's talk a little bit about that too. Someone may be thinking, okay, a shake for lunch, a shake for dinner, and then um, you know, a healthy meal during the day. You know, how is this different when we're thinking about probably a, a decrease in calories? How is this kind of diet a little bit different than calorie restriction or even intermittent fasting? And then the most popular on the market right now, right? The ketogenic diet, it's everywhere. So talk a little bit about kind of the differences because you have done your homework here and this, it is different. 
it is different. So I collectively mentioned about how I think about carbs and fats and ketones all in one bucket. And so one part of this program is that there, there's less fuel present. But what happens is even when your fuel intake is lower, your protein requirements don't change. Your liver still needs essential amino acids to clear itself and to carry out its day-to-day -day operations. They're also critical so that you're not losing muscle mass. Now, a wrinkle, however, is that proteins can cause an acid load for the body. And during times of rapid fat loss, that can create risks for gallstones, kidney stones, gout to form. So this is different in that it's, it's protein sparing. It's, there's, there's not, it's not a high protein, but it's protein sparing. So there's no protein deficit. There's a fuel deficit, but not a protein deficit. It's also distinct in that the, the proteins are primarily pH neutral or alkalized. So it's relying pretty heavily on vegetable-based proteins. And then another distinction is that it's an easy thing to, you know, do less food, but then feel awful because the blood sugar is so unstable or to also restrict the diet so much that the good bacteria get compromised. And the good bacteria, a lot of how they work is that they're working hand in hand with your liver. You know, we talk a lot about people say how the gut is where you interact with the world around you. It's actually not. The gut is outside of your body. You know, it's just a tube. And until things cross that tube, they're not in your body. And when they cross that tube, the first place they go is your liver. So the cup for cells in the liver interact with your gut flora. And that's how they hold your metabolism in line. And so to feed the right kind of flora, this diet's very high in resistant starch compounds, which really do nothing other than feed the good bacteria and help them make high amounts of these desirous short chain fatty acids like butyrate, acetate, and propionate. So yeah, those are some distinctions. So to distinguish that from low calorie, it's, it's really targeting the fuel. So we're maintaining the protein, we're maintaining the good things to feed the flora, but we're doing a temporary drop on the fuel in a way so the liver can tap into its own fuel. And the distinction on ketogenic is that also the difference is maintaining more protein status and consuming some good carbs. So the funny thing, they did a big study, a controlled study in which a group of people were on the same amount of food. Half the people were eating a ketogenic diet and the other half were eating a diet that was mostly processed foods. It was about 25% processed sugar, actually, like baker sugar, like that kind. It was like junk food. And the group on the high sugar diet, when it was the same calorie load as a ketogenic diet, they actually lost more body fat. So the paradox is that ketosis is what happens when the body is not burning fat. You're making it into ketones. You're not burning it for fuel. So the nice thing is that there may be some benefit to the body being in a low fuel state. And some of that benefit may include the decreased appetite and the mental clarity that people notice from being ketogenic. So this is structured to get those same benefits without the harm to the liver and the kidneys and the flu-like symptoms of the whole ketogenic approach. And then the intermittent fasting, so that's, that's like windows of time, like narrower windows of time of eating. And it's been very thoroughly studied for weight loss. And the extent to which you lower your food intake throughout the day is the extent to which your weight goes down. There's, there's actually no difference between eating, you know, 2,000 calories within a one-hour window or a two-hour window or a 20-hour window. It's the food load. But if all you think about is the food load, then it's the same issue of you've got to struggle to lose and you're probably going to regain and not feel well. So this allows you to still feel well and then just change the body to where it's regaining its metabolic flexibility back.
Would somebody, you know, it's a question just popped into my head. I was curious about could or would somebody benefit from the metabolism reset diet and intermittent fasting? Could they decide to do a shake at noon and in the afternoon and then a, a, a light dinner? Would, would there be any benefit there? I know a lot of people are loving intermittent fasting. A lot of people are, are being told that it's great for helping to stabilize cortisol levels. Anything that you can lend to that as well, or does it not matter? Well, you know, my, my thought is always about just groups and predicting things for groups. And when someone is reaching out saying, hey, things are not working for me, what can I do differently? That's what I'm going to give an answer. If someone's doing something that's working really well for them, don't change that. You know, if you've got it dialed in and your metabolism is already lining up well, don't change what you're doing. But if you've tried things and it's not panned out well, then what I've done is try to figure out what will work for the largest number of people, the largest amount of time. But they're, they're for sure, everything we've mentioned, there are many people that those things have worked for. And I don't want to come in the way of anyone's success. So if you've, if you've gotten your metabolism back again from doing something, if you've got to keep on doing it and working hard, maybe there's another way to go to make that stick for you. And this could be that option. And if it didn't work for you, this could be an option. But if you did intermittent fasting or keto or just caloric restriction, and now you're stable, now you've got a healthy metabolism, you eat what you want, your body weight stays steady, your energy is dialed in. That's awesome. You know, that's that's totally cool. I'm just here to help mop up for those to where things didn't work out well. Absolutely. Anything else you want to mention about the book that we haven't touched upon that you're super excited about? I mean, this is such a, I'm so excited about this, the idea of being able to not only support the liver, but to help to reset that metabolic flexibility. But anything else that you're just like, man, I'm just so happy that this is in the book. I can't wait to share this. This is a yes to part of the question. So this is not in the book, but I'm excited about this. Okay, um, sounds good. We're doing a free challenge for people. So if any of this makes sense to, to someone, you know, I'll make sure that you can help share this with your listeners that we're going to do a free seven-day challenge where they can learn about the program and actually do it. And my wife, Kieran, and I are going to be doing it at the same time. We'll be you know, filming our recipes and sharing the experience and tracking the progress and we're going to have a community and just group support. So if anyone's curious, that that's the easiest step is just jump on in, try things for a week. And that's the first step of getting it to where someone who could not effectively burn body fat can start to burn body fat again. So I'm, I'm super jazzed about this is going to be the metabolism reset challenge. I love and I'm jazzed, jazzed about that. This is so great, Alan. And we're going to have, we'll have that link for you guys to join this, the seven day challenge. And let's be honest, any of us can do anything for seven days, especially if it means <laughs> resetting our metabolism, which is a key indicator to our longevity. Dr. Allen, I am so happy about this book. Where would you like us to go grab it? Are there places that you, I mean, clearly we all go to Amazon, but where else can we grab this book? You can grab the book anywhere. All the resources are, are fine. Amazon, any of the Barnes and Noble, any of the local stores, they'll be wherever books are available. But, but yeah, the easiest thing I say is just think about the think about the challenge. Think about the challenge. So get onto the challenge. We have the link for that, you guys. I still want you to get the book too. I'd like you to do yeah. both. <laughs> if you could. The book does the book does help the challenge a lot. There certainly are things to learn and some insights and it'll make more sense as far as some of the moving parts and why the recipes are the way they are. But yeah, they work great together. 
you know, it's so nice to know the why behind the things that we do. You know, I am a big proponent of both. I love knowing the why, but also I love to just be able to jump in and get into it. So I think that both really provide that avenue for people. I know that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be jumping on the train and and doing my thing because, you know, I've been there where my metabolism is definitely slumped or, and hormones have played a big role in that, you know, particularly stress hormones and thyroid hormones and all of the collective hormones we were talking about today. And then, you know, just, we all know, I mean, you inherently, there's, there's something inside of you that says right now, yes, something is going on with my liver. And if that, that feeling is hitting you, like it hits me, I'm, I'm always mindful of what's happening with the liver. Then this is really the opportunity to give it the reset that it deserves. That's, that's awesome. Well, Dr. Allen, any, any last words of inspiration? I know I asked you last time, what's like the one big needle mover for you? I don't know if that's changed since we talked last that you're doing every day to really keep your metabolism going, to keep your body in, in high vitality shape. You know, for me, probably, boy, time, time outside, just moving, being, being in nature. And so much of our, our brain is there to manage moving through three-dimensional space, you know, not just like being still, but like actual terrain, like moving up and over things. And I, I find that's a helpful way to break, break a cycle of repetitive thoughts or ongoing stress is to be moving along trails or outdoors and interacting with nature. So that's, that's a huge thing for me. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Alan Christensen, for coming in and sharing your wisdom once again. Loved our conversation. And I feel like you've given us a lot to consider when it comes to getting our metabolism back on track. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure to be with you, Maritza. Absolutely. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Well, Dr. C did it again. How fascinating is it to know that the liver plays such a big role in our metabolism and that the health of our liver determines our metabolic flexibility. Now, in case you are ready to reset your metabolism, this book is a great place to start. Hence, The Metabolic Reset as the title. But you can also join Dr. C for his metabolic challenge that he is still hosting right now. And all you gotta do is register for the seven-day metabolism reset challenge in the show notes or simply go to drmarisa.com slash episode 61 and grab the link there. Well, thank you so much for stopping by and listening in to the Essentially You podcast. Our next episode is all about how to extend longevity as we age. Plus, we're going to be debunking some pretty big myths about protein with my dear friend and personal doctor, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. You are not going to want to miss this hot topic. And as I mentioned earlier on the show, my goal is to continue to spread the word about the Essentially You podcast, and the best way to get the word out there is through you. So I would love to hear from you and love to hear about what you want more of on the podcast. So please, if you get a chance, take a moment to rate and review the Essentially You podcast on iTunes. That way I can continue to serve you and the other amazing women who are ready to become the boss of their healthcare. Until then, have an incredible week.